need to shave. So do you. Everything but your mustache. Ah. Mm. It's gonna uh, happen, John. No, I don't know, do man. Gotta do it. You'll grow it all back before I've November. I've had a beard for like four years now. I've had facial hair but for like as long as I haven't shaved. <laughs> Profound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do change it. Get used to the changing facial hair lifestyle. Man. The most change I've done has been not shaving my mustache and letting it get longer. You gotta do fancy stuff with it. Like you gotta make shapes into it. You know. I've thought about it. I like, just haven't done. You could it. do the shape where you just have a mustache. <laughs> well played. Hello everyone. Welcome to the two two six episode four. Episode four. Here we're gonna talk about music. But first, we have a uh, comment that was on one of the first videos we did. Yeah. I believe there was a question about artist integrity and doing like doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. So like, where do you draw that line? I think it was yeah. uh, related to the topic we were talking about. Um, who was the artist's name? I forget. Terry Redland. Terry Redland. He was the, the painter who had a very distinctive style and I suppose we kind of called him out in that first video. Yeah, I was kind of uh, harsh. Yeah, it's a it's a very fine line I think between doing something that people like and doing something that's true to yourself. Yeah, exactly. I really think it depends on the situation. I don't think that it's a a line you can draw clearly in the sand for any artist, no. regardless of what medium they use. So, um, Terry, he did get he did make paintings that were were very popular, popular and he stuck with that style they're gorgeous it, yeah it's, i mean there's a reason that people like them i don't think it's right to say that he purposefully ditched creativity and expanding his horizons for the sake of yeah. you know monetary gain mm -hmm. um and you know maybe that he, he just found a his niche so mm -hmm. Maybe that wasn't the best example of someone who's who's Maybe. kind of done that. I don't, I don't know. I think um, it really depends on the situation. And uh, really will change yeah. for, I mean, musicians, for painters, for photographers. Totally. It's, uh, I mean, I think you just have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. So hard to... Put a firm line in Terry Redland. I didn't know yeah. him very well. It's a bunch of gray space. Yeah. So, um, but very good question. I appreciate yeah. it. We'll try to keep those. Um, we'll try to keep answering them as they yeah. as they come up. If yeah. people have questions, post them wherever. Post so them we'll in look. descriptions. Yes. Comments. Call Any, us. I don't know anywhere you can. Yeah. Know. I'll you give don't you my phone it. number later. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. All okay. right. Uh, but yes, music, this episode, very excited about it. I'm trying a new approach. I didn't come up with any points for and this one. I'm trying a new approach. I wrote down everything I'm going to say. So I didn't write down, okay, but like bullet points. Yeah, it's very, his is very scripted. And I have nothing planned. So I'm really excited for this one. I'm yeah. going to see if I can uh, just be off the cuff for the whole episode and, and see where it I'm goes. I'm excited. I really am. All right. So, I mean, I guess you have to start since you have. Okay, the, the so, well. Here. So I was writing things down, and I wrote music, and then my brain was, all I could think was, it's huge, it's, it's huge. And like, oh, it's gigantic. What on earth do we do with this? Because you could talk about one genre of music. You could write books about one genre of music. You could write... There are books I've written about one song. Mm -hmm. Like, my dad has written a book just about Amazing Grace, and it's a good 400 pages long. Wow. Yeah. 
I don't think I've read 400 pages <laughs> about music anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So it's a big topic again, but I think this first season we're definitely covering these big topics and I'm excited to come back and get more detailed eventually. All right. So, so music has played a large part in my life for my life <laughs> for your whole life. Um, Ever since you can remember. Yeah. Uh, a while ago, I actually realized I don't remember a time in life. <laughs> I don't remember a time in my life when I couldn't read music. I started I, yeah. reading music about the same time I started to learn to read. Same. So I can't remember looking at a treble clef and not knowing that the second lineup is G. Yeah. Like, when did you start? What did you start learning on? I started learning piano in yeah. first grade. Okay. My mom started teaching me piano in kindergarten, yeah. so it's yeah. pretty similar, I think. It's always reading music and reading words yeah. happened at about the same time. I've never thought yeah. about that. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's just it's something that's been with me always. So when I look at someone or I talk with someone who doesn't know how to read music, that just kind of blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And then what, what is even cooler, I think, is those musicians who don't know how to read music, but they are musicians. Yeah. And sometimes they are way more talented, way more creative, mm-hmm. and they have incredible ears as compared to people who don't. So that would be someone Do- like Hans Zimmer? Yeah, Hans I think Zimmer. I, I remember hearing somewhere, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, from what I recall, it seemed as if he could not read music off of it like a staff. Like, yeah. Like, um, he still used software, and I think he was able to plug in MIDI notes and yeah. do things. So he had a very, he had a pretty good understanding. But like when it came to, like here's a note and here's a piano, go play that note. Mm-hmm. He would like have to kind of fiddle it out. Yeah. So like people like Hans Zimmer, uh, Tony Anderson. If you don't know him, he writes music for like commercials, mm-hmm. time lapses, this really cool soundscape. Yeah. And very emotional, cinematic uh, stuff. Love I, his works. I wonder if there's a parallel with that between. Like writing music and storytelling, so you I, might have people I actually who, wrote that down. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you have so you have someone who's a a storyteller, and they might write their stories down. They'd be a great storyteller in that way. You have like a J.K. Rowling, a Tolkien, or yeah. whoever whoever would do that. You might have someone who's a great storyteller verbally. Yes. So they just say the story, and it's you know they're funny, they're engaging, like that. That might be a similar comparison. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe you you don't uh, require the person who's a storyteller verbally to not be able to write it down, but that's just their primary way of going about things. Yeah. You can have maybe success in both both ways. So maybe yeah. I'll try that. I, I will. Can I? How? I mean, you already know how to read music. That's true. So there's like no going back anymore. I suppose. Unless I just knock you unconscious. But I have noticed that when I write music or when I play, like when I play guitar, I play yeah. guitar blind. I don't know oh, any really? of the, I don't know any of the notes. I just know chords. So, okay. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I kind of understand the chords and if I like have time, I can figure it out. But yeah. guitar is kind of like that. When I write music, I don't really think about like what key am I in? What's the, I mean, the time signature is relatively the same for mm-hmm. electronic music, but it's all four, four usually, yeah. there's, there's no, oh, here's uh, a fifth chord going to this chord. I just kind of hear it first and then whatever happens, happens. I always felt like theory was much better for analyzing music than creating music. Yes, that is such a good point. And I love that you just hear chords and then you just do it. Um, 
because I very I very much went through the classical approach to music, mm-hmm. where, well, I, I learned piano kindergarten through senior year of high school, took organ in college, and now. I went through all these theory classes, and when I look at music, I'm constantly analyzing. Mm-hmm. And then when I try to write music, that's all I can think about. Interesting. And it's less creative because yeah. you have all these things in your head of what comes after this, what should I do? When a lot of the times, what I hear and what I want to do and what sounds cool in my mind mm-hmm. isn't a rule per se or a guideline, the common practice yeah. theory techniques. Yeah, I learned enough theory, I guess it was high school, early college. We, I did enough theory mm-hmm. to be able to say, oh, this is that kind of chord, this is that kind of chord. Yeah. But when I'm writing music, that just goes away. That's Maybe awesome. I'll think about, oh, maybe I should invert this chord, or maybe I should not have parallel fifths or octaves here. But for the most part, it's just, it's all by... I can I can hear it in my head first, yeah. and then it, and then it, try to get it out on paper, yeah. and that's also not something interesting to talk about is how mm-hmm. do you get something that you hear in your head musically, oh, okay. and how do you get that out? Audiation. Properly. That's such a a tool to have as a human. <laughs> I struggle with it as a. I mean, when I'm producing songs, I mm-hmm. just there's there's like a block sometimes. Like I can hear the way I want it to sound in my yeah. head. And I'll try to get it down every part that I can hear in my in my brain, and then it just mm-hmm. it just doesn't come together quite the way I want it to. It doesn't sound as complete or as full as I want it to. Because yeah. some of that might be uh, limitations for me as a as a producer or what kind of sounds I have access to. But a lot of the times, it's uh, I just I fall short of of what I think the song has potential for when I hear it inside. Yeah. For me, the last couple of months, um, I've been making the conscious decision to, when something's stuck in my head, go down to the piano and figure out how to play it, like everything that's stuck in my head. So I'm figuring out the key to begin with, because that will help me immensely. And then melody and chords to go along with it all at once. Interesting. Just plow right through it. And just going from brain thoughts to keyboard and making that a more natural, smooth progression. I see. Instead of having to think what comes next and just doing it. I've done similar things before. If I hear something in my head, I'll I'll, uh, go to the piano and try to pluck it out and see it. But I've never thought about what key it's in. I always... It's like that's like a a step that I skip. Okay. But I'm also like subconsciously like, oh, I shouldn't play that note. Like if I'm in in like a D major, I don't want to play... Uh, an F natural, yeah. Like that's not a sound that that changes the whole tone of the piece, right? Yeah. They just make it sound sad. And, yeah. But the I, I guess when I'm when I'm playing it, I just I don't really think about the key. That's interesting. It just kind of like oh, I can't play that note, or I shouldn't mm-hmm. play that note before. So you've got like all the whole steps and half steps built into your thought process. Yeah, and I've kind of noticed that with guitar too. Because uh, I don't know how to do, I, don't, I never do scales. I should practice more on guitar. I just kind of fiddle around, yeah. like learn enough chords to be able to record something uh, short and brief, and then it takes me like fifty times to get it right. But <laughs> I've watched that process. Oh wow, it's uh, not worth podcasting. That's for sure. <laughs> Maybe the end result sounds okay, but uh, I still have a lot to learn in that regard. But anyway, when I'm like learning scales or trying to pluck out a melody, yeah, I can almost always tell when a whole step or a half step can come and it's just like it just feels natural or sharp or flat so well, I, I just <laughs> couldn't resist that one um but it just feels 
right to go for a whole step and then yeah. the r- right after that a half step and it just, yeah. it just I can differentiate between what steps I should go if I go if I try to do intervals then it's more tricky but if I'm just going up steps I can kind of have a sense of what it is even though I don't know what notes I'm playing and I don't know what key I'm in it just kind of somehow is there the way I don't understand western music culture has been so ingrained in our minds from early on is so interesting. So do re mi fa so la ti do. Soul fetch. That's not natural per se. The pentatonic scale. Did you learn that? I learned that, yeah. Like the I love soul fetch. Yeah. Soul fetch, I just never I learned how to say it and uh-huh. I was able to whenever they had exercises in theory class, yeah, I yeah. would be able to like, okay. Um just go at the intervals, like I I just figured it out. Oh, this is a fourth, so it should be do re mi fa so. I don't know, so do so something like that. Do fa do fa. See exactly. Like I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just kind of I, I heard the interval in my yeah. head, and then the soul fetch came afterwards, not the other way around. Interesting. So, it, right. was that what it was used for? The soul fetch was like um, to be able to give intervals correctly. Yeah, kind of. So like for me, we learned to inquire. Um, and use it there because then you can sight read music easily so once you get your keys down you know just like what a key looks like yeah so d major has f sharp and c sharp yeah just keep using that one and then in my mind the second i know a key i'm labeling the solfege syllables to every single note really yeah so d is do e is re and so on i mean if you told me to to label the, the F sharp in a D major scale and then do re mi. See, I would have to think about where it is because I don't use that as a, yeah. it just doesn't, it's not for something yeah. I did. So uh, we would use an inquire and then sometimes use it to sight read. Okay. And then what I really think is cool is when you use it in band, I'm studying to be an instrumental music education mm-hmm. major. Um, so band directing is super huge passion. I love yeah. it. I have this uh, band director, Jordan Beckman, who's now out in Washington. Uh, he taught our entire band solfege, okay? And then he would give the hand symbols and we would play what his hands were doing. Really? So like we would have a key, so like, okay, play in concert B flat. And then, uh, so like he would just do that. And we started off, everybody just doing the same thing. One hand, same thing. Okay. And then he would use both his hands and do different uh, signs in each hand. Really, and he was so good at this that he could sign the solfege syllables for "Over the Rainbow" with his right hand and have one half of the band play that, and then the left hand was doing the chords for that. That went along with really? the melody with his left hand. I've tried doing two different solfege things with my hands. I've never tried solfege with either of my hands. It is so difficult. Feet. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and like this past summer, when I directed the Banders Vanguard, the marching okay, band yeah. I was in. And I tried it with the kids when I was directing this summer, and I am not good at it. <laughs> I need to practice, my goodness. But see, so, I can see, especially as like a, if you're in front of a band, that yeah. would be much more beneficial to know yeah. because you can give those instructions out. Yeah. But it's a label for everyone, even though everyone is in a different key technically yeah. because of the different instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how uh, solfege is? I love how powerful it is. That's uh, I think it's incredible tool. Another tool yeah. that I don't know how to use, but yeah. I mean, barely. 
I can look at a hammer and say, that's a hammer. <laughs> you use it to pound nails, but then you put it in my hands and all of a sudden everything's a nail. And... No, I <laughs> hope I'm a little better than that. <laughs> so I wrote down this thought, what has music done for me? What has music done for you? Hmm. You know, we both have music in our lives for basically our entire life. Pretty much. So at this point, what has it done for you? Well, it's definitely enriched my understanding of anywhere that music comes up. So it could be, you know, in church, the radio, watching TV, watching a movie, watching commercials. <laughs> um, sometimes it's nice. Uh, I mean, I, I don't consider myself a very emotional person, but like okay. you can use that to express emotion some way. Like, I don't know why, why do I make music? Because I, I, I can, I don't know. I really don't, I really haven't thought about that question very much. Mm -hmm. as, as, even since the, what our first episode, when we first covered that, it's like, yeah. why do we create things? I don't know why I write music, but understanding it has definitely uh, helped me understand more about everything else where it shows up. Yeah. So. It's kind of neat to look at, at movies and see, like, why does this music fit here and not mm -hmm. in another space? And it's mm -hmm. so it's interesting to be able to analyze in that way, I suppose. And then, I mean, I, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. Yeah. Like, why do you play sports? I, you you know, why does anyone fun. do anything at all? <laughs> I think it's kind of a yeah. very philosophical question, but I hear music in my head almost constantly. It's always some sort of... Uh, it's like a constant stream of unwritten music and it doesn't all sound good but every once yeah. in a while I'll get like a good tune or melody or harmony or like orchestral something or other yeah. and it's just like I wish I could write this down but then it just kind of drifts off into Interesting. into the void where yeah. the geniuses take it back and <laughs> it'll come down again sometime yeah some hopefully hopefully I can like pull it back through my brain and and write it down. Sometimes I've, I've notated uh, on just like a piece of scratch paper. If I hear a melody, I have just to draw some. Lines I just draw some lines. And I actually I realize now that I write when I when I write music down just on a piece of paper. I write it like a MIDI note. <laughs> really? Yeah. You do. Interesting. I, like that's just how my brain sees music is MIDI notes. Interesting. I guess piano I see mostly via staff, but yeah, uh, just normal normal things but I never like when I have something in my head it doesn't go straight to staff lines it always goes to MIDI and it's just it's not about what note it is it's about how the notes are related to each other so transposing it might give it a slightly different feel because it's a little higher a little lower but the general feel like the chord progression is going to stay the same yeah and that's what I hear I hear the chord progression not okay. the specific key that it's in okay so the thing where you just hear something and then write it down quick um so my dad He's a composer, choir director, mm -hmm. um, and my mom's a piano teacher. This is why music has been in my life. Yeah. Because <laughs> your parents. <laughs> yeah. So there are multiple times when I can remember my dad, like, middle of some event. For example, a graduation at the high school you went to. Oh. My cousin yeah. went there, too. Middle of the graduation service, I just see him pull out his bulletin, grab a piece of paper, pen, and just draw some lines, a quick sketch out this melody with writing chords above it and everything. Mm -hmm. He was literally composing a theme song for his school in the middle of this graduation service, 
and while hearing. music was playing. Yes, I've had that too sometimes, right. where like you you hear a song or a melody or a chord progression, and all of a sudden, it I like externally you find like another chord progression would go yeah. well with, or another melody would go well with, or another situation would be cool with. Yeah, like if. Like every once in a while I'll be like in church and we'll be singing a hymn and all of a sudden I don't hear the organ anymore. It's like a band with like a, a bass line that's flowing all over the mm-hmm. place and guitar and trumpet and whatever else yeah. other instruments happen to be there. But it's, and it's completely unrelated almost to the music that's going on in the moment, but I can hear something else for just a uh-huh. brief second or a brief moment right there. And I just have never found a way to be able to get that back afterwards. Yeah. Very, I mean, maybe once or twice I've tried sketching something out, but it just never lives up to that moment where I'm listening to a piece and hearing a different piece at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's See, so strange. I, I just, oh, this overwhelming question, where does the music come from? <laughs> and uh, it just blows my mind. I've, I've heard, um, there's a TED Talk, actually, that you would like. I think. Oh, I'm going to look it up. But there was Have a, we mentioned TED Talks in every episode? So I far? believe so. We're going to have an episode about just TED Talks. We should have a season about just TED Talks. We, we probably could. <laughs> um, but the lady, she went on some uh, emotional, spiritual type of journey and wrote a book about it. And I can't remember what the book is called off the top of my head. But she was talking about inspiration. Okay. okay. And so that was a, a TED Talk I was um, interested in watching. Hmm. But she said that ancient, in ancient times, people thought that geniuses were responsible for giving you inspiration so music words poetry things like that and they kind of give it to you it's it's external your your impetus for writing something creative came from outside of you it was given Mm -hmm. to you by the geniuses that's why some had it some didn't that was just a way of thinking about it okay and i've kind of adopted that a little bit as well because i don't know where this stuff comes from that i hear in my head i have no idea where it comes from where it's going yeah it's it just doesn't make any sense to me but it's kind of interesting to think of it as an external thing so you're, when you have writer's block, for example, when you're trying to write something, you don't have it, mm-hmm. it, it makes you not force it yeah. because you view it as an external thing that's yeah. just not there at the right time. And then when it comes at 3 a.m. when you're like trying to sleep and you have all the inspiration <laughs> in the world, why? Why now? Come on. These geniuses hate me. But yeah. um, I think I even said that in earlier in the episode, yes. I used geniuses in that sense just as like mm-hmm. a because that's the way I view it and I mean I know I I have no idea how truthful that is but it's just a way of viewing the way that inspiration comes to you I might look it up I've heard multiple composers talk about this and most of them are just like I don't know where it comes from comes down from heaven comes Mm -hmm. from I don't know it's just there and it's just such a gift Mm -hmm. such a blessing that man I don't even know where to go with it because it is a question that I don't think will ever be answered. Ah, here we go. Elizabeth Gilbert. And she wrote a book called... um, Where is it? No, I can't find it. But she did go on a journey. Uh, She was on Eat, Pray, Love. That's what it's called. I knew love was in there. Eat, Pray, Love. She went on uh, a journey... Try like a self-discovery 
spiritual and personal exploration traveling mm-hmm. abroad and she wrote this book because of it and then she gave a TED talk about inspiration for said things so that's really cool I thought that was a really interesting one to talk about it gave me a new way to think about how inspiration works in my life and yeah. in other people's lives as well yeah definitely so music makes memories that concept oh so when I have all these memories that are attached to music yeah. And the emotions that went along with that. And I read about this in the TED Talk book. Okay. Talk Like TED by Carmine Gell. Mm-hmm. I read about it in there. These emotional experiences and these lock in memories. Maybe I read this in Music Ophelia. It either might have been that one. It was probably Music I think Ophelia. I remember you saying it in that one. Yeah. But either way, that, it's very true yeah. that certain songs can be very associated with certain events in your life. Yeah. So, I mean, like, some people, like, this one country song will take them back to summer driving in a truck down some farm road or yeah, something like that. Yeah, very stereotypical, but something yeah, like yeah, that. that feeling yeah. is is very valid, very yeah. true. So, for me, I have these memories of, like, back in high school, I got into this state honors band and was directed by Ellen McMurray and Frank DeKelly, these two world-renowned mm-hmm. classical band literature people. Yeah. And... Just what they brought out of high schoolers, the emotions they brought out of our playing, and then what they attached to each note was so meaningful that every time I hear the song Angels in the Architecture, band piece, I'm taken back there and I feel the same emotions that I felt during that concert. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter where I am, what I'm doing, that's what I think of, that's what I feel. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Like that song and those emotions have become synonymous synonymous in my brain i like that i think it's interesting that you attach the song to what you're feeling at the time whereas for me listening to something like uh boston's greatest hits Mm -hmm. takes me back to sitting on the bus going to grade school i was the first one on and the last one off so i had 45 minutes of of bus ride on the way and on the way back from school And uh, so I listened to that album uh, probably hundreds of times. Yeah. And I also remember sitting in this one particular spot reading a train magazine. I was really into model trains at the time. Okay. And uh, end scale for the wind, by the way. And <laughs> it's so small, you can fit it anywhere. But anyway, um, I think uh, it's interesting that I remember what I was doing yeah. and not so much how I felt. Yeah. But attaching the music to what I was doing does have a certain feeling associated with it. Yes. Whereas it seems like yours is not the opposite, but you attach the music and the emotion together and that helps you remember what you were doing. Yeah. I think, hmm, how do I say this? The, the way music is in my life, I'm always around it. Mm -hmm. So if I attach what I'm doing with a song, I think I would never be able to think clearly. Hmm. Did that make sense? So Some, yeah, you just there's not enough. So like every song would trigger something. Yeah, and if I did that, that would just drive me insane. I don't think it happens to me for every song. For yeah, sure. It's mostly just. I think you're, it's the emotional experience. You need an emotional experience or a repeated thing for it to happen. Yeah. So in my case would be the repeated action of reading a trained book. Yeah. A model train book on, on the bus, bus on the way to and from school yes. every day for yes. an entire semester of seventh grade. But yeah. like, 
So I don't recall any emotion that any strong yeah. emotion that really came yeah. out of that is actually a pretty boring thing to, <laughs> to do. But I mean, I found it interesting. Maybe that's where it is. The interest brings it about. Yeah, maybe. But that's interesting. I might have to go back and do some reflecting by myself. And oh, the brain is just such a cool thing. Just the way it, it makes connections between things, which yeah. kind of goes back to my uh, educational philosophy is that the web bringing connections yeah. together, like that's what, that's what learning is. Yeah. So I wonder, yeah, maybe I'd be able to use something like that in the classroom. Yeah. Okay, so back to uh, Musicophilia. Mm-hmm. Okay, Musicophilia is a book by Oliver Sacks, uh, a neurologist. Mm-hmm. I could get that wrong, but he deals with music cases almost mm-hmm. all the time. And the Musicophilia is a book that's essentially just a bunch of stories that relate to the brain and music. Mm-hmm. So the first one in there is the story of a man who doesn't really like classical music, doesn't really like piano, mm-hmm. goes about his normal life, gets struck by lightning, what? lives, what, and then after that, get this, he's really good at piano. Interesting. Like, wh- what? <laughs> um, so... Why can't that happen to me? (laughs) (laughs) So there's obviously something in the brain that just clicks on with music. I wonder. And it's it's different than language. He got so he got struck by lightning, and that was the trigger for. Yes. So it must have. I don't don't, like rewired his brain in some way. And there's more stories like that in the book. That's so interesting. Brains getting rewiring, or people uh, getting amnesia, or Alzheimer's. But music is the things that is the thing that will bring memories back okay so like having that emotional experience and stuff like that it's just music is a powerful powerful thing oh yeah therapeutic and emotionally even physically impacting your health yeah I think totally and just read musicophilia if you (laughs) like music in any way (laughs) I wonder has there ever been an episode where you haven't mentioned some book no that's good like two years ago, I decided I needed to read more because all through high school, I didn't read at all. Yeah. Like I read assigned books. I skimmed assigned books. <laughs> I skim everything. Yeah. I'm really bad at it. Oh. There are some things that I read straight through, but I don't know. Now I just read, I try to read a lot. I try to read to yeah. learn. And that's how I need to get better at I do skim and glean as much as I need to know from something. And that's mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, books like quiet, I kind of go- get through and yeah. Other things that are interesting, like the reclaiming conversation when I want to get through, that yes. would be very inter- interesting to me as well. Yeah. Let's talk about what's on your computer. Okay, so you were talking about uh, music feeling and what was his name? That Oliver you know, Sacks. Oliver Sacks. I thought about Benjamin Zander. Love he is dude. a classical um, director. Um, orchestras, uh, I would say a world-renowned. Not sure exactly. I don't know that that field very well but he's, say yes. he's he's popular enough or well known enough to be in a TED talk yeah. so <laughs> again another TED talk we were talking about and he, he says um, a lot of interesting things about, about music here and I think his idea was that people everyone can enjoy classical music because it takes you on a journey yeah like pop songs can give you memories and like attached to emotions and whatnot. but he says classical music does that so much better 
he, he plays a song by Chopin, I think. So a prelude or a prelude, I can't remember. I think it's an E something. It's an E minor. I forget. I should just name all of my songs by what key they're in, even though I don't use that at all when I write them. But You keep talking, I'm going to figure out what song you played. Cause this he plays this song on the piano as if he were a 7-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, and then as someone who actually gets it, who gets music. Mm. And the difference is actually really interesting because he points out that uh, the beginner plays every note and every note is emphasized. Yes. It is like using every syllable the same and it just it, it kind of drags on. Like the music is there but he's not playing the music per se. Yeah. Next level up he maybe stress every other note and upon that you stress even fewer notes whereas he finally got to thinking about the music that's on the paper as like a phrase. So you have the high points and the low points, and that's where you kind of get louder and quieter, and then finally resolving. Mm -hmm. And he really puts the emotion into a piece that he was able to take all of the emotion out when he first started playing it for you. Yeah. And so, and he put a lot of memories into people's heads. People who had never heard this song before, I'm sure, sitting in the audience. He yeah, has yeah. them think about uh, a person that was really important to them in their life. And he says he does this for grade schoolers when he gives presentations and whatnot he just has them come up and i think he was in some inner city school and a, a kid came up to him afterwards and said you reminded this song reminded me of my brother and i thank you for that and yeah. it, that just really stuck with him and yeah. like this this music is for everyone so uh he really uh did a good job in that one i, I share that ted talk with a lot of people i think that yeah. one is one that everyone should watch one of the best ones i've seen for sure so what he did really well was he provided that space and the concept of the music for the people mm -hmm. so he got them started on think about this person who meant something to you mm -hmm. and now is gone or something like that and then everyone has someone like that in their life and then they could apply that apply themselves to the music and that's where the power of classical music comes. Yeah. It's not obvious what it's about all the time. Mm -hmm. And the, even the song he plays is deceptive at the end because it gets to a point in the phrase where it will finally resolve and you'll get that, that ending chord that everyone can hear. Everyone knows what it's supposed yep. to sound Western like. Western music. And, and he, he, he plays it and then the song has like a different, like an inverted chord or a different bass note. Or, it's a minor six chord. Okay, thing, so you see, I don't know what that is, but I can hear the difference. And yeah. so it does that and then it kind of resolves and there's just a one more little cadence that's like a deceptive cadence yeah. at the end. And it just, I never had thought about it like that before. It was super mm -hmm. interesting and uh, I even tried to learn to play the song on the piano and I got okay at it and then I came here and the piano I have here, the F key doesn't work. Yeah, you So that. I need to get that fixed or something, but um, can't really play the song. But. Chopin's Prelude in E minor. E minor. Yep. Okay, so I wouldn't need the F. No, you wouldn't. Major chord. E, I'm sure. just making excuses. I mean, you're calling yourself out. Yeah, I suppose. Anyway. Um, so <laughs> this Benjamin Zander. We talked about storytelling earlier. Yeah. But we talked about like there's storytellers and there's musicians. Mm -hmm. Now, storytelling through music. Yeah. That's he, essentially what he does. He did. He did make it a journey. Yeah. And I think all good music is a story. Mm-hmm. Um, my trumpet teacher from seventh grade through senior year of high school taught me that in my second lesson. Um, he used the analogy of a sculpture. 
so I played this little ditty for him. Okay, mm-hmm. it wasn't good. I thought it was great. Yeah, but he had a much more deep appreciation of music and just music knowledge depth, way bigger than mine. Mm-hmm. So he said, "Think about a sculptor. Think about like using marble mm-hmm. as a hunk of marble. Yep, is the sculpture there?" when it's just that hunk of marble? No. See, and his point was, yes, it is. We just have to get it out and, like, practice and refine it and get it down. And then you do that in music by telling the story. And that's what chips away all the little pieces of marble. Hmm. And you eventually get this beautiful work of art. So if you, if you thought, like I did, where the sculpture is already there, do you... How does that fit in the analogy then? Is it just you're not playing the song to its optimal potential? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Interesting. So, like, when a composer writes a piece of music, it obviously means something to a composer. Mm -hmm. And they thought of a story that it's going to tell. But then it's discovering that story, making it your own, learning all these style things and such. But then Mm -hmm. that's what true music is, I think. When you're fully appreciating every single note, every tiny little articulation mm-hmm. in order to tell a story, evoke emotion. I think every good music teacher does that. You ever seen a story like Mr. Holland's Opus? Good mm-hmm. movie. I haven't watched it in a long time, but yeah, I do remember that final it. song. Definitely attached some mm-hmm. memories to that one. But uh, he gives the... He's giving a girl a clarinet lesson, I believe, or an oboe lesson. He's having her play some yeah. song and she just isn't getting it and there's some picture there and he's like what do you see in this picture and it was something that she was emotionally attached to I believe and he said don't play the song play Play the sunset or something like that and like that's what clicked for her I had a similar moment I was in 8th grade I was playing Carnival of Venice on trumpet for Uh, some solo ensemble with a little cadenza in there yep yep so after I finished he wrote on my uh, paper, the whatever the judge's sheet yeah. is, he wrote, no Del Papel, Del Corazon, and I probably butchered that pronunciation. Uh, but what it means is not from the paper, from the heart. So it's I, kind of the same thing that with your analogy or with uh, Mr. Holland's opus is that the music isn't what's on the paper. The music is the emotion that you put into those words and that you let those... Uh, words or lyrics or uh, notes tell the story that's behind yeah. it. That's what's actually making this music emotional exactly. and beneficial. So exactly that, and then it, from then on, it just clicked. Like that's what music was to me. It was how I feel about it, how how it sounds put together. And yep. It was less about what's actually on the paper and more about how I could express what was on the paper. Mm-hmm. And I think that hints at the why of music. Why do we have music? Why do we perform? Why do we listen to? Mm-hmm. Even the person who's never been in a band or choir listens to music. Mm-hmm. And it's it's for emotions, for storytelling. Yeah. We as just people have a, a thirst for that. Yeah. Even people who don't know music can, like a pentatonic scale. Yeah. Not yeah. pentatonics. Pentatonics. <laughs> But they like you, you, you say like la la, and you can jump back and forth, and the crowd will get it. Like they'll know, and then they'll know what to do the next time you go up. Have you and seen this video? I have seen Bobby so, McFerrin. Yeah, Bobby another McFerrin. Ted thing. Another Ted talk. 
We should just play TED Talks for our podcast. We should start linking them. We should link them and everything. But uh, he does that, and then eventually he like goes the other way or something. Yes, yeah. and, the, and they get it. They understand. It is no ingrained in our mind. How? <laughs> no one's tone deaf. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I wondered. There's uh, so many mysteries that are left to be answered about music. So. Yeah. That's why I want to be an instrumental director. That's the coolest thing. And it's perhaps why I produce music, because it there's just emotion attached to it. Yeah. Regardless of how much I think about it. Man. <laughs> what other points do you have? Okay, so we've talked about storytelling. We've talked mm -hmm. about what music has done for us. It's a gigantic topic. Mm -hmm. Music as a communication device. Oh, wow. So we talked about communication. Last episode. Yeah. And how giant that is. I mean, yeah. do your doctoral studies on that. But music as a communication device, it is it is not a language, yet it is a universally known language. Maybe that's a better way to look at it. Interesting. It's a universally known language. Mm -hmm. I bet you could you could play a sad song and anyone across the world is gonna know it's a sad song. Hmm. Then what comes to my mind is like can, is the concept of minor being sad and major being happy, is that ingrained in our minds, or is that something that's taught us, and we just automatically yeah, label? So is that nature or nurture is basically yeah, what you're actually. asking. And the only way I can know that is that if I'm ever blessed with children, I never give them the idea that minor is sad and major is happy, and then I talk to all the music teachers too. <laughs> say, don't say this <laughs> great music experiment going on right now. Don't plague their minds with this minor sadness. Yeah. Because th there's so many different ways you can view minor. I mean, it can be powerful. And yeah. And I think a, a minor chord is in almost every happy song. Yeah. It's just part of the cadence. It's exactly. just part of the, the way the chords progress. Exactly. I remember there was a fine arts class I had to take mm -hmm. way back when I was a freshman. Um, and we were talking about how in ancient times they didn't use scales as much as they used modes. Yes, the and church modes. modes you were indicative of a certain type of feeling. So like on the battlefield, yep. like a certain mode meant this or this mode meant that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't hear modes. I can barely pick out like a Dorian Mixolydian. Like I can't. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even know what the base mode is. Uh, it's Dorian. Well, no, Dorian. Dorian is up, up a half step, right? No. Well, okay. Well, there's a lot of ways to look at okay. it. Okay. That's another whole time. Yeah, that's a whole that's, that's music theory. We won't yeah. get into that as much. But I, go. I don't I don't work with modes enough to be able to distinguish between uh, this one or that one. I can barely even label two of them. So But for them, like in the battlefield, like that that was we're winning or charge or that uh, mm -hmm. the victory and even in, in like early church music, that's how it was. And, yeah. Um, even the history of how music developed in that way is so intriguing as well. Yeah. Even if you're not so religious, just the way that they they started to sing things in churches, uh -huh. like early, like before the Renaissance, yeah. was that like the chanting and what that meant, and then how that progressed is very interesting to me. Yeah, I guess. I agree. Maybe it would be more interesting if teachers were more passionate about it or even knew about it. But um, yes, yes, I think that stuff can be interesting to anyone, even yeah. history in general. If you put purpose behind it, I don't think it's uninteresting. I like that. 
I, I think that you can make anything interesting to anyone if you make it apply. Application and passion. It. Yeah. Those two things are very yeah. integral, I would say. Yeah. How did we get into modes? Um, we started talking about communication through music. Oh, okay. I think that was the goal is what I was trying to say is that modes were the form of communication yes. then. Whereas yes. now we use like major and minor, the, the two different ways that we think about like a happy song, sad song. Like yeah, it's yeah. very uh, bipolar, but yeah, or polarized. It's very toned down too, only two. Yeah, songs there's only two, whereas back then they were able to distinguish things. But I yeah. wonder how much of that is is learned like I wonder if they were able to play this yeah. little tune in this certain mode, and they realized exactly, oh, this is this is what that means. Was that something they taught, or is that something that was natural? I, I, I tend to think it's learned. I feel like it is, but the ability is is latent. I don't know. Someone could say the same about language. And yeah. Talk all day about it. I just think it's so cool that music can be understood by anyone, anywhere, mm -hmm. and just that whole concept. I wonder if you get into different forms of music though, like not a twelve tone scale, and you go over to like an Oriental type of oh, semitones. Semitones, and I, I don't understand that at all. The sitar. I can't hear it. In it. I can't hear things in it. No, it's it's just completely foreign to me yeah. in more ways than one. And yeah. I maybe I should try to see if I can learn it, or if I could. Maybe even write something or hear something. Uh huh. Yeah. Because I don't. I, I hear it and I can kind of recognize it, but it's like <laughs> that's like recognizing someone who's playing a foreign, like speaking in a foreign language in front of yeah, you. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, they're they're speaking German, <laughs> not English. That's all I've got. They're playing semitonal music. <laughs> what they're saying, I have no idea. Like, yeah. how am I supposed to feel about that? Yeah. I have no background, which makes me think that music could be mostly. Learned. Learned. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I don't want to put a stamp on anything, so. I don't know. Biggest takeaway from the show. Oh, boy. I guess my uh, little experiment to see if I could uh, assist in filling up an, an episode of, <laughs> of a yeah. podcast without having any notes prepared. And maybe because of our... Uh, strong backgrounds in music having been able to read music for as long if not even longer than I've been able to read words mm -hmm. I I think it was a little easier than something I know nothing about but at the same time I don't know I thought it flowed really well I think yeah. I'm trying to think of what the biggest takeaway of the entire show was um, I think that maybe the soul fetch just yeah. not something that I have ever really utilized. It was just something that I learned. It was, mm -hmm. I don't know, you can analyze a poem and you can say this is a, uh, a non-stressed syllable, this is a stressed syllable, and you can have certain patterns of those and you get in like iambic pentameter and all sorts of different ways of looking at poems or like uh, rhyming structures and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if a poet as they're writing a poem is always conscious of those. I don't think I'd argue they are sometimes like, I'd are they, are they, are they specifically conscious of it or are they, is it subconsciously there? I think it's specifically conscious because com I'd say composers of music are always consciously thinking about every single part of it. Mm -hmm. 
but in the same way that I don't apply solfege to learning scales mm-hmm. or whatever key I'm in, it never really stopped me from being able to sight read things. I just kind of heard the intervals there yes. and I was yeah. able to, to go about doing that in that way mm-hmm. or in the same way that I don't think about like what key I'm in when I'm writing a song. It's just like, I can figure it out. I don't think that a, a poet would, Oh, this is what rhyme, what rhyme, what is rhyming structure? I think mm-hmm. they would be able to put it there. But I, th- I think sometimes what you hear in your head and the way you analyze it, I mean, it can be a very gray line, but I wonder, I don't know. There, that was just interesting to me because I've never yeah. used solfege in that way where you like you have like hand symbols and I can't remember exactly how. You got were. the first three right. Okay, so. <laughs> well, there must have been something there from, from high school left, but uh, I've never used that in any meaningful way to create or analyze a song. It's always just been something that I did because everyone else there did. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was the biggest takeaway for me is I never realized that that was used for sight reading. Yep. It, was, it was always just like, oh, I have to use that syllable now. Like, how mm-hmm. does that help me? Like the intervals were always just it was just there. I don't yeah. I don't I don't understand it at all. So that yeah. that I guess was uh, the most interesting. I think not uh-huh. that any of it was uninteresting, but yeah, that and we always used TED talks. Also that <laughs> yes, biggest takeaway for myself. It's definitely the difference in how we both apply meaning and memories to music uh, and uh, just how different that is. And I would argue, I bet it's different for every person. There must be common ground, but mm-hmm. I think everyone applies music and memories to each other differently. Which one triggers with the other? Does it go both ways? Yeah. I don't know. Mo- emotion versus what you're doing versus repetition. Yeah. All of those. Exactly. So maybe maybe someone has different. Maybe someone's kind of in the middle, where they like have some, where they feel a certain way about a song. Yeah. And then another song where it takes them back to a specific place, what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's just, I could talk about music for so long. We probably will. Yeah, we probably will. <laughs> There'll be more episodes with this. And oh yes. Maybe we'll make it. We should make an episode where we just uh, do some like jazz freestyle impromptu I'm down improvisation we'll just have a pod <laughs> is that even a word no <laughs> oh my goodness we'll just improv an entire episode and that's how we'll talk we'll use the language of music there we go for our podcast there we go next week we have cinema I believe yes. movies TV shows yes. visual um, media yeah so that can encompass a variety of different things, mm-hmm. including maybe commercials or short stories, short movies, yeah, film festivals. I'm excited. Me too. I need to catch up on some movies and prepare some stuff in my mind. But yeah, I'll do my homework for this podcast. Can't make many promises about school, but uh, hey, right there with you. <laughs> Um, I guess that's just about covers it for this episode of yeah. the 226. Oh, we're releasing episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yep, finally settled on that. Yes. Finally, uh, we're recording this one on Sunday. should be up there tomorrow. Yep. Uh, look for it on iTunes, hopefully coming out soon. Yep. Still waiting on that approval letter. Yeah. But, um, uh, very excited about where this can go as the season unfolds. Yes. So, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 226 in the afternoon. Because the 226. We'll try. We'll try. <laughs> That's our goal. Thank you very much for listening. This is and or watching. Peace. <laughs>